Well, if you would turn with me to Zechariah chapter 8 as we continue through uh, this marvelous book. As you turn there, you know the hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We love to sing that. But sometimes we sing that with our lips, but it's hard to really believe it in our hearts. We sing it mentally. I mean, we know the words of it, but we don't sing it by faith. Holding to it, clinging to it, knowing that it's true. We sing it ritualistically, to use last week's word. We, we sing it that way, but do we treasure it and celebrate the truth that is there? Well, in Zechariah chapter 8, uh, this is still that central, that pivot point that we have seen where, where he is shifting from talking about the kingdom to talking about the king who is going to come. You may remember there are these ambassadors who have come from Bethel, and they came to Jerusalem to ask a question. And that question was, should we continue to fast on the fifth, in the fifth month? Remember, they started this fast because the temple had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been sacked. But now the temple is rising again. I mean, daily, it's, it's more and more of it built. They're seeing it completed. It's, it's such a better time. It's such a good time to be alive. Things are getting better. And so they go. And uh, so surely we shouldn't need to continue fasting, right? And they just wanted a simple yes or no uh, answer. But you know how it is with preachers. Sometimes we get long-winded and yada, yada, yada. So essentially, you got two chapters of response from Zechariah and from the Lord here. Chapter 7, remember, when they asked the question about fasting, he's, he doesn't even talk about fasting. He says, the problem is actually your hearts have never been changed by the Word of God. You've got diamond hard hearts. That's your problem. Your problem isn't another day that you need to fast. Your problem is that your heart's not changed. And he rebukes them, right? Uh, he, he gives them the law of God, the indictments of the law upon them. And then in chapter 8, the indictments of the law turns to the sweet promises of grace. He promises some of the best things that you've ever seen in your life in chapter 8. Really, what Zechariah does, he says uh, to a struggling people, the people of God, hey, God doesn't change. God, God changes not. His compassions, they fail not. God's faithfulness is sure and true. 
And that's the message that we're going to see here. It's a glorious vision of the age to come that's presented here in chapter 8. And so uh, before we read it, I just want you to notice there's a refrain. Uh, Ten different times in this chapter, thus says the Lord of hosts. You see it in verse 2, 4, 6, 7, 9, 11, 14, 19, 20, and 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So this is not the words of some prophet who's had one too many rough nights of, of crazy visions. It's not just, he's not just coming up with stuff. This isn't the word of someone who just, boy, he's trying to motivate them to finish the building of this temple. And so he's offering them some kind of pie in the sky reward. If only they complete the work. No, no, this is, and I don't want you to miss this, this is the word of God. Do you see that? Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. So don't take my word for it, Zechariah says. God himself is making these promises to you. So don't look at the evidence around you for a brighter future. Don't rest your hope in your own strength or your own arm or your own might. You, and this is why I encourage you, you rest your hope in the promises of God. Rest your hope there. Let's read chapter 8 together. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am a jealous God, for, I am jealous for Zion. With great jealousy, I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it is If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who were present on the day that the fountain of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days, there was no wage for man and any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its produce. The heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been, 
a byword of cursing among the nations. O house of Judah and house of Israel, <laughs> so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I have purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once and entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many people, strong nations, shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men of the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Let's look at this passage together. And I want you to see that Zechariah paints three beautiful pictures for us. Beautiful pictures of the future. First off, notice the picture of a new Jerusalem in verses 1 through 8. Uh, particularly, notice verse 3, that God declares that he has returned to dwell in the midst of this city once again. And that all the surrounding verses are simply a description of what happens to the life of the people when God returns to live among them, to dwell among them. When he comes with renewed grace and renewed power, having re removed his blessing for a season. Look what happens. Three things happen, right? Uh, there is a renewed relationship with God. Notice verse 2, I am jealous for Zion with a great jealousy. I am, a, I am jealous for her with great wrath. Now, the, this Hebrew word for jealous is the same word uh, as the word zeal. So in, in English, the word zealous and the word jealous come from the same common root, okay? So don't read jealous and think, well, God's some kind of jilted lover. And he's going on a jealous rampage here. It's some fit of jealousy. No, no, that's not it. It is a holy zeal that the Lord has for his people, and he will not share his people with another. Uh, his wrath is kindled against anyone who threatens his people. Friends, what could be more comforting than that? God loves his people so much, he'll do anything for her. 
He will keep her. He is the perfect husband who will defend and fight for his bride at any cost, against any foe. And of course, this has its climactic fulfillment, doesn't it, in Christ. Christ, who is that perfect bridegroom who will go all the way to the cross to save and to sanctify his bride. Nothing, nothing will stop God from guarding and keeping his people. Mm. Christ will go as far as the cross to purchase her, to save her, for her. Here's the truth, friends. This is, this is where our hope is built, isn't it? This is, this is where it's founded. This, this is where it's... God loves you and has sent his son to die for you. And as a result of that, nothing will take you out of his hand. Nothing can. No one can snatch you. His grace, his, the mighty grip of his grace, so strong, he'll defend you at all cost against any foe. He will fight for you. And look how his restored presence, this zealous love that he has for his people, look at the impact it has on them in verse 3. Jerusalem, now Jerusalem has been the, has, they've never been faithful, right? They have been the faithless city up to this point. But notice what they're called in verse 3, the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, the faithful city. The Lord with this jealous love, this zealous, passionate love, the bridegroom, he will not share his bride with any other. And this produces in his people, his, he is so faithful. What's it produce in his faithless people? Well, it produces this. They're now satisfied with him. God is enough for them. They don't have to run after other lovers because he has come, he's returned. He is enough for them. His love is enough for them. When he comes and restored mercy and grace and he dwells among his people, his people are now, those faithless people are now the faithful people. Notice second thing, not only is it a renewed relationship with God, it's a renewed relationship with, with one another, the rest of the people of God. Look at verses 4 and 5. Old men and old women, they will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with their staff in hand because of great age. The streets of the city, they're going to be full of boys and girls. Hear that? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Everyone living long, full. Boy, there's no end to their lives here. That's the norm. That's the norm. And the joy of the children playing. It just, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The, the elderly rest in security. Just securely, just peacefully. The norm. Children playing. Friends, God is building this kingdom in which his people, they find safety, they find a home, they'll dwell together in harmony, unity, and love. 
both older folks and children. There are no curmudgeons here that say, get off my lawn. This is what God's building. It's a beautiful, peaceful kingdom made up of his people. And notice there's also renewed relationship with the world. Verses 7 and 8. He says, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. I will be their God. There's that covenant phrase again. In faithfulness, God is faithful. And in righteousness. So God's going to gather his own from all over the world. And he's going to bring them all into this restored city. This builds on that idea, doesn't it? These Jewish exiles, they've returned, and that's been glorious, and that's been the work of God, but it's ultimate fulfillment. It still waits a latter day that is to come, this climactic anticipation of a day when people from every tribe and tongue and nation, they're going to stream into the city of God. And friends, the church of Jesus Christ, as we proclaim the gospel to the nations, this is what God's doing. He's bringing them in, isn't he? It's a breathtaking picture. This is a marvelous, we sang, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused the quickening ray. My chains fell off. My heart was free. That's what God's doing. In the preaching of the gospel. He's setting the nations free. It's a beautiful picture. Now, to these Jews and who have returned to Jerusalem to find it in shambles, I want to say, this might seem like too good a news. Like, you, too good to be true? It's what it, I mean, right now, all their, the people surrounding them hate them and uh, want to kill them. And they don't want them to finish the walls. And they don't want them to finish the city. And they don't want them to finish the temple. So, c come on, really? People from everywhere are going to be coming into this city to worship our God? A little bit too, it may seem like too good to be true. But do you notice verse 6? Verse 6. If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of the people in those days... Should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord. <laughs> that word there, marvelous or wonderful, depending on your translation that you're using. You may remember that in other places. Like Genesis 8, 14, when God tells Sarah that in her old age, she's going to have a son. And he answers her uh, incredulity there. He says, aha, uh -huh. is anything too hard for the Lord? It's the same word, marvelous. Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? <laughs> no. Is anything too wonderful for me? No, nothing is. Nothing's out of the realm. Nothing is too difficult for you. There are no boundaries. There are no constraints. God can do all his holy will. There's nothing restraining the sovereign Lord. Or you may remember Jeremiah 32, 17. There's that humorous story where uh, Jer Jerusalem's about to get sacked by the Babylonians. And God tells Jeremiah, uh, 
you are to go by the field of Ananoth. Well, wait a minute. We're losing the city. We're going to lose the city. You've said we're going into Babylon. This is not the time to get into real estate. Why would you buy land, real estate? This isn't the time to buy. Why would you do it now? And the reply comes back, there's nothing too hard. There's nothing too wonderful. There's nothing too marvelous for the Lord. That's why. Nothing's too difficult for him. Nothing's too wonderful for him. Jesus tells his disciples, remember the disciples says, who can be saved? Remember his answer? With man it's impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. Do you remember that? Do you hear that? Nothing's impossible for God. Now you might, to answer Jesus, if you were in there with Jesus and the disciples, you might say, well, not me. I, I couldn't be saved. I mean, if you knew how sinful I really was or am, I can't be saved. Or maybe you say this, I've played the hypocrite for so long, I can't be saved. Maybe you think something like that. No, 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 friends. Repent and come. Repent and come now. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Hear that. Nothing is impossible with God. We need to learn this. We, we, we need to hear it. We, we need to, this needs to be our uh, default that we do not examine and consider uh, uh, circumstances by what we see or what it feels like. But listen, all future expectations, we should measure those what? By the certainty and the promises of Almighty God, who there's nothing too hard for, nothing too marvelous for, that the power of God, I trust the power of God over my own imagination and what I could think. That's what we need to learn. That there's nothing too difficult for him. There's nothing too wonderful for him. You need to, if you struggle with anxiety and fearfulness, will you hear that? Nothing's too, preach that to yourself. Day in and day out. There's nothing too difficult for God. There's nothing too difficult for God. God's promises will not fail. There is nothing too difficult for the Lord. What about uh, the salvation of souls? You ever tried to, I mean, I mean, times change, right? And there used to be a day where we could go visiting and we could knock on a door and people would talk to us. And people would confess their sin. Now, there's indifference. No. They don't, they've heard it all before. They don't want to talk. Well, why should we continue to do it? Because nothing's too difficult for the Lord. I mean, I mean, hey, going to Scotland, less than 1% Christian. Well, they had the gospel. They're, they were a Christian nation, and they lost it. I mean, why would they believe us if we go over there? Because nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Why support Barlanark, Hope Community Church? Because nothing's too difficult. Why go to Nicaragua? Because nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Why witness to your family? Because nothing's too difficult to, for the Lord. Do you pray that way? Do you, have you prayed for your lost son, daughter, 
your coworker? Have you prayed for them so long and you just say, ah, they're hard hearted. They're diamond hearted. They're not going to change. Pray. Because nothing's too difficult for the Lord. And I want to say, don't get discouraged to say, well, maybe I will just be nice to them and then they'll find their way into the kingdom. Or I will smile them into repentance. No, 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 no. They need to hear of their own depravity and the perfect atoning work of Jesus Christ. That alone will save sinners. You be faithful and you share the good news and you know that nothing is too difficult for God. What, what about revival itself? Well, I mean, and I don't mean a planned meeting like this week we're going to have revival. And I don't mean something that you can set a date on. I mean, what about God's presence meeting with his people in strong and powerful ways so that it changes all of us? Maybe you say, yeah, that could happen in Jonathan Edwards' day, but not our day. Or maybe that could happen in, in Wesley's day, but not in our day. Or maybe that could happen in Spurgeon's day, but not our day. Oh, friends, pray. Because nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Pray that his presence and power among us would be strong and mighty. And there would be a renewing of grace and power among his church. Nothing's too difficult for God. Do you believe that? I don't know. Good, I'm glad a couple do. That's a beautiful picture. Look at the second beautiful picture he paints, a new Eden. A new Eden. So he says, hey, yeah, there's this new Jerusalem where God comes to dwell his people, but I want to push it even further than that. Look at verses 9 to 13. It's not just a renewed city, this new Jerusalem. There's a restored Eden, isn't there? Now, verse 10, he tells you how bad things really were. Before those days, there was no wage for man or wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from foe, those who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. So this is a terrible time of distrust and suffering and hardship. Then notice verses 11 and 12. But now. So things have changed, right? But now. I will not deal with the remnant of the people as in former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce. The heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. Now that language, you remember God's curse on Adam's sin in Genesis 3.16? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. So in New Jerusalem, when God comes and, and God is building it among, from among the nations and the people are coming in and this glorious city is being built, there will be a day when all of Adam's sins are going to forever be removed. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 33 says, No thorns or thistles anymore, but the vine giving its fruit and the ground yielding its produce. Instead of the thorn bush shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Or if it were December, perhaps we should sing this song that's really about 
of the second coming. No more let sins or sorrows grow, no thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. It's reversed. His, where the curse is now, there's going to be his blessing. It's an Eden, this fallen, broken world. Eden is going to be restored. And so Zacharias says, fix your eyes. You, people of God, fix your eyes on a day when God returns. Fix your eyes. And it's not just that, see, you, you, you look even further than that. Look, look to what that city will one day be a perfect garden. That's what John sees in Revelation 21 and 22. God has returned to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And that city to come, and John says he will dwell in the midst of his people, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. And verse 3 says, And though in the midst uh, of the city street on either side of the river will grow the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That ruined city of Jerusalem, they're building that in Zechariah's day. That's just a type. That's a mere type of the glorious, glorious future city. The church of Jesus Christ, the, the city, it's the antitype, if you will. It's, it's under construction right now. He's bringing them in from all over the world. And in one day it's going to descend from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And it will be both a city and a garden. A new Jerusalem and a new Eden. The curse of Adam's first transgression is going to be gone. With the first Adam, he disobeyed in a pristine garden of an unfallen world. The second Adam, he came and he obeyed among the thorns and thistles and briars of this fallen world. The second Adam's he comes and he pays the sin and the penalty that the first Adam could never satisfy. The first Adam, he died under sin's curse. The second Adam, he is raised to life again in resurrection life. And it signals to us, friends, that because of him, everything sad is going to be untrue. Everything said, because of Jesus, death is swallowed up in victory. Because of Jesus, the leaves of the trees are going to be for the healing of the nations. Because of Jesus, there is a better world coming. And I ask you again, do you believe that? That there's a better world coming? A few more believe it. I wonder if you've forgotten that. Have you forgotten that a better world's coming? I mean, right now, you're in the midst of daily toil. You're in the midst of the sweat of your brow as you labor here. But I want you to know there is a better world coming. Cling to the promises of God. He is faithful. It is coming. And then look at the third picture. 
It's a homecoming. Verses 20 and 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of the cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, say, Let us go at once and entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many people, strong nations, shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men, from the nations of every tongue, they will take the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So Zechariah is building on this recent experience of these people, right? He's preaching to these returned exiles. And so they've come back, but he's saying there's a homecoming, but it's not just going to be us. It's going to be a global homecoming. Global. This is going to span the globe. All right? Our, our return pictures a global homecoming. And this is going to be peoples, inhabitants from many cities, strong nations, men from every nation and every tongue. You remember, uh, uh, they're, they're going to come and say, come, let's go together. Let's go and treat the Lord. Let's go seek the Lord. Remember the, the, the embassy that's come, the, those ambassadors that came from Bethel to, to Zechariah back in chapter 7? Well, uh, they said, let's go seek what the Lord wants here. And, well, that's what we have. These are saying, and I love the picture too, right? At a ratio of 10 to 1. 10 from the nations going to one Jew saying, hey, we've heard that the Lord is with you. Take us to him. We want to know. We want to know your God. They want to know the God of grace for themselves. And all that, uh, uh, the background of this whole chapter, friends, it, it, it is, it's, it's the covenant that God made with Abraham. In verse 13 it says, As you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Remember Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3? I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's that covenant that Zechariah points to, and he pictures the fulfillment of it, that the people of God, the people who have, who have been the object of scorn among the nations, they're going to be an instrument of blessing for the nations. The, the ones who have been cursed, their names have been curses, bywords, four-letter words among the nations. Now they are going to be the blessings to the nations. That's what's going to happen. Through them, the nations are going to gain access to the God of grace. Friends, you, do you realize the days in which we live in? These new covenant days? The days that the Spirit of God, working in His church and building His church. You know that there was one day when a man named Peter, he stood up to preach to per. Athenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and in, in, in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Phygeria and 
Pamphylia and Egypt and those from parts of Libya, those belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. They heard Peter preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And what did they do when they heard Peter preaching the good news of Jesus Christ? You know what they did? They said, what can we do to be saved? How can we be saved? Let us go with you. We want to know about the God of grace, the Lord of hosts, who is your God. You remember when Jesus said that the fields are white unto harvest? I think some of us have stopped believing in that. Or at least we've, we're acting like we don't believe it. Ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the world has been witness, right, to this extraordinary expansion of the church of Jesus Christ. Unlike anything else. So that today, there are more believers in Jesus Christ around the world than at any other point in history. You say, our world's a mess. Well, you're talking about your county and your town. Do you know if it wasn't for Christians from Africa and Australia, the Christian denominations here would have long gone the way of uh, Unitarianisms and believed nothing. They've been hold, holding the rope. <laughs> They've been faithful. They've been growing. The, the Lord is at work around the globe. This is happening. Do you know the harvest is plentiful? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? Wide under the harvest. Is it overwhelming? Yeah. Are they cold to you? Yeah. Hey, remember, nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Nothing's too wonderful for him. These days of the new covenant, we, we take the gospel out, and what happens? The nations stream into Zion that they may learn of God, the God alone who can save them and the God alone who will keep them eternally. Zacharias' failure vision, right? Uh, the, this restored presence of God, it's going to be a, a, this new Jerusalem, this restored Eden, this worldwide, this harvest of souls from every nation. Well, what difference should that make in your lives? You sit through this whole thing. What difference does that make? Verse 16, he says, these are things you should do. So, two things. But because of all these promises in the future, he points out two things in verse 16. Here's the so what. One, be marked by integrity and justice. Speak truth to one another, rendering your gates judgments that are true. Make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate. Friends, if God's kingdom and his, his kingdom is going to be perfect, if you're a citizen of that kingdom, you should strive to live lives that are holy unto him now. If, the, if you're a member of that kingdom, do you live like a citizen of the new Jerusalem? That's what we're called to do. And the nations who, who are going to come and say, take us with you, they're never going to ask you if you live no different than them. Do you live like a citizen of the kingdom? Are you marked by integrity and justice? Do you long to dwell in that kingdom to come. Pursue holiness now. 
Second thing we are to do, and this is how it marks us. Notice this. You shall be marked, you should be a people of joy and celebration. Verse 19, here it is. The fast of the fourth month and the fifth month and the seventh month and the tenth month shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love, truth, and justice. So here it is. Here's the answer. They came from Bethany with a question. Here's the answer. At long last, Zacharias come to the point. Maybe you're feeling that way now. He finally got to the point. The mourning is over. The time for mourning is over. Now is the time for joy. Joy, celebration. And friends, if, if these, this generation who heard these promises and they were still distant blessings, if they are told to replace their feast with joy and, and, and celebration, you, you don't fast and mourn anymore. Now, feast and be filled with celebration and joy. Surely, friends, we who who at the beginning of the fulfillment of these pictures that, that Zechariah paints for us in the coming of Jesus Christ, surely we ought to rejoice all the more. Surely our hearts should be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory as we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. As we hold to the promises of God, is your faith, is it marked by Joyful celebration. That's what's laid out. Don't fast anymore, he tells these, these ambassadors. You believe God's promises. Then you sing with faith and cheerfulness and joy. And you celebrate who God is as you trust the promises of God. And, and then you don't have to just say it with your lips. You can mean it in your heart. Then you don't have to just say the words you can celebrate. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Morning by morning, your mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these glorious truths. Cause our hearts to celebrate. celebrate and let our eyes be fixed and riveted on Jesus Christ whom, in, whom all these promises are fulfilled. And Lord, as we go, would you grant that we leave in the power of your spirit that the weight of your presence would be so upon us that we'd be faithful in proclaiming the gospel to the nations, that we would trust you, that we would not grow weary in doing what is good. And Lord, we long to see the nation stream in Zion. We long to see it. We want to hear Can We come with you. <laughs> we want to know your God. I pray that the guys in Thursday night, that they would say, I want to know your God. That our neighbors that we've been witness to, may they say, we, I want to know your God. Can we come with you? 
May our co-workers say, I want to go where you're going. I want to know your God. I want to know the God of grace. What must I do to be saved? Oh, Lord, for those questions to be asked of us. Would you so work among us? Make us people of integrity and people marked by joy and people that our hearts are filled in celebration as we trust you and trust your promises. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.